Welcome to the Life Success and Legacy Podcast. We're super excited. We are taking on a worthwhile endeavor at Life Success and Legacy. Our intention is to honor Nelson Nash, the man, as well as the infinite banking concept. We're going to create a series of resources, including podcasts and text, as a resource for others who want to truly understand with depth and clarity what Nelson shared in his book, Becoming Your Own Banker, as well as the many seminars and think tanks that we were fortunate to have attended during his life. So who is this intended audience? Well, we will use Nelson Nash's own words. It is written for the layman, not for financial advisors, but all life agents should be thoroughly knowledgeable of its content and practice. So whether you are an individual, part of a family, a business owner, or a life insurance agent, this is for you. So sit back, relax, and we will walk you through becoming your own banker step-by-step so you can reference the parts you want to revisit at your own pace. And we might have a little fun along the way. Hey, everybody. We want to uh, welcome you back for another edition of the Life Success and Legacy podcast. My name is Chris Bay, and uh, thank you for joining us. Um, Joined here with Mike Everett, the founder of Life Success and Legacy. Mike Everett, how are you today? Hey, hey, Chris Bay. For our listeners uh, today, we are really starting to dig into the meat of um, Becoming Your Own Banker by Nelson Nash. Um, And if you have the fifth edition, we are actually going to be starting on page 19 today. It's called Creating a Bank Like the Ones You Already Know About. So let me just paint a picture of what this, uh, this chapter talks about. What Nelson is really doing is explaining how a bank gets started, a traditional bank, the steps that you got to go through. And then he comes around and says, oh, by the way, that's a really big, expensive process. There's an easier way for common people like Mike Everett, Chris Bay, and some of you. Okay. So to start with, I want to set the table here. Um, I'm going to go back to, it's actually on on page 20 second column and he says you must admit that getting into the business this way is very costly and time consuming it will be a long time before you show a profit probably as much as 10 years but it must be extremely profitable over the long haul for people to go through the gory mess you have just read about but there is a much easier way to accomplish the creation of your own banking system and the mechanism has been around for over 200 years. So what we're going to do is we're going to walk through, with the help of Mike Everett, walk through what are all those different steps that have to happen to set up a banking system. And what I want to do is, as we go along that that road, is say, oh, by the way, this is what it looks like if you were to do it with dividend-paying whole life insurance designed for infinite banking, okay? So Mike Everett, um, let's jump into this. Uh, Nelson says, if you're gonna create a bank like the ones you already know about, there's a number of steps that you must go through. Would you kind of outline for our listeners some of those different steps? Well, um, I'd I'd heard Nelson do this probably 30 times. And every time it would just like, you know, I'd say the first 10 times it would like just go over my head. And then all of a sudden I realized, oh my gosh, Um, it's kind of a big deal to go out and start a bank. So the very first thing that you got to do when you're starting a bank is you got to have 
somewhere between 10 and 20 million dollars set aside and you've got to put it into somebody else's bank and let it set for somewhere in the neighborhood of I'm going to say five to 10 years. So it's going to take a little bit of money and it's going to take a little bit of time in order to make that happen. Now, in the midst of all of that, what you got to do is you got to fill out an application for a bank charter. <laughs> now, Nelson uses this as a lot, but uh, how many people do you think are filling out applications for bank charters? There's a bunch of them. So um, chances are, if you're not in the good old boy system in creating this charter, then chances are you're going to be set in the back of the line somewhere in order to move to the top of the list. So that is going to take somewhere in the neighborhood of that five to 10 years for you to be able to be approved for that bank charter. Now, now so I want to just got... interject here real quick. You <laughs> said five to 10 years just to be approved for that. Now let's transition that, let's contrast that to if an individual is setting up their own banking system using life insurance, how long does it take to be approved for your own policy? A month. Right. So that right there is a comparison, right? Oh, oh, it's just, it's night and day. Yeah. So after they're approved, then all of a sudden uh, you open up, and I'm just moving along the five to 10 year period. You've got time, you've got money, you've got all of this energy, and then you're going to, you're going to uh, somehow, some way get the doors open to your bank. Now, in the banking business, how important do you think uh, location is? Um, it's like the number one thing. So you're going to have to have a piece of land. You're going to have to construct a bank building. You're going to have to have all kinds of uh, new shelves, new inventory computers. Um, you're going to have to have a safe in your bank. So you're going to have to spend a lot of money redoing the interior to make it look professional like a bank. You're going to have to hire employees. You're going to have to pay them money, you're going to have to give them benefits. And now we're going to open the bank doors. Now here's the catch. Let's just pretend everybody's been doing banking business across town, but you're opening a new bank in your city. What do you have to do to get people to come from that bank to your bank? Well, you've got to give them uh, coffee makers, you got to give them microwaves, you've got to give them incentives to come and do business with you. What is the chance that everybody's going to do that in the next couple of weeks after you open your doors? Zero to one percent. So this is a, a, a gigantic endeavor, but I'm going to go back and read exactly what Chris said. It must be extremely profitable over a long haul for people to go through that gory mess. But they must be making a bunch of money if they look at it from a long-term standpoint. So it's a mess. Yeah. It's of a why somebody, yeah, yeah. Well, I don't know and understand why anybody would want to do this. But now, then along comes Nelson Nash. 
Now, Mike, you said first first step is you got to have a bunch of capital, right? Bunch of it. And you got to go set it. So why in the world do you need to incentivize people to come deposit money into your bank? You've already got a bunch of money. Couldn't you start business? Well, it, it sure looks that way. Right. But you have to leave those assets setting into somebody else's and make them liquid in case your business goes down. So those are not even assets that you're going to be able to tap into. Those are something that has to be set on the sidelines. So it's the bank. What the bank is loaning out is actually the deposits of the people who do business. So that's why that's why the bank is incentivizing people to come put money in their bank. You got then they're going to turn around and they're going to loan that money back out to people for cars, for homes, for businesses, businesses. etc. You got it. So you're not you're not even the bank isn't even loaning out their money. They're simply loaning out the deposits of their customers. Well, that's correct. And then there you throw in fractional reserve banking and then then it even gets to be messier. Yep, we'll get to that. So at the top of 19 in the second column, um, Nelson included a quote uh, by Adam Smith from his book Paper Money. He says, "A banker cannot make a loan unless he has a deposit." <laughs> okay? It's it's really important for people to understand that when we go and deposit our money and we have it sitting in there and we're earning point nothing on interest, yeah. but the banks are then turning around and they're then loaning the money out at 4%, 5%, 6%, whatever that is, they're actually loaning out our money. That's correct. And it's surprising how many people don't actually understand that. It, it'd almost blow you away. Yeah. I mean, I was 50 years old when I learned it. So so it sounds like that should work really well as a business model. But Nelson gives an example of a bank down in Midland, Texas, that didn't go well. Um, can you kind of highlight that that story that Nelson talks about in the book and why it why it went uh, southward? Well, this was in the uh, I, I believe it was in the 80s. Yes. I want to say it was. Uh, in the early 80s uh, when the oil business was just cranking out and so you've got all the all the stockholders and the people on the board uh, are these guys are all business people so what they did was they borrowed money from the this first national bank in midland texas and what did they all do they got into the oil business and in the midst of all of that they were borrowing money from their bank. They were all stockholders at the bank, but yet there was a ton of those loans that were what they call non-performing loans. And what does that mean? What does that mean in the in the banking business? That means that you've got people who've borrowed money from your bank and they're not making the loan repayments back towards the the loan that they've actually taken from the bank. That's a non-performing loan. So uh, in the midst of all of that, so imagine if you have a business where people are not paying for the product that they've purchased. In this case, it's money. What's the chance that your business is going to stay afloat? Zero. And that's exactly what happened to this uh, bank. Uh, so um, 
you can only imagine the loss that the bank took. And then uh, I, I can't even remember what year, but uh, when, it, when all of a sudden you've got people who are actually on the board or their stockholders and they're not paying the loans back, then all of a sudden the bank gets in, in uh, kind of a sticky mess and they go, hey, we're not making any money. And so uh, the value of the stock of that bank goes down considerably very, very quickly. And when one person who's not on that board finds out about that, what ends up happening? People come and they withdraw their money out of their out of that bank as fast as they can. And so that's just like, customers are going somewhere else. And it doesn't matter if it's the banking business or retail business, you name it. Once people start going somewhere else, I'm gonna tell you the business will go down very, very quickly. And that's exactly what happened to this bank. So I think this, this example highlights and so many times, I mean, every single day we go back to Nelson's principles. Yep. This, this, this principle that's highlighted here is number three. And, and that is don't, don't steal from your system. And these- you got it. These board members were stealing from their system and they were not making loan repayments back to their system. And then what happened is people heard about it. So they started pulling their deposits from that bank. So it got even yep. worse. And then Nelson says that the in the second paragraph on page 20, he says, this all sounds pretty ominous, but you haven't seen anything yet. Now you've got to add in the multiplier effect of bank lending practices. And Mike, this is where he talks about fractional reserve banking. You want to explain that for people who may not be familiar with that? Well, let's let's go back to some basics here. First of all, you everybody goes down and makes deposits down at the local bank. Got it? Once they get a dollar in, that means the 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 federal government, the Federal Reserve, basically says for every dollar that you have in deposits, we're going to be you're going to be able to loan out ten dollars. That's called fractional reserve banking. Now, here's the whole crazy mess of this entire scenario. You and I put a dollar down at the bank, but the bank then turns around and loans out $10. The question we always ask is, where did they get nine of those dollars? Nelson used to say they get them out of thin air. <laughs> So um, wait a second here, thin air. Now, if you and I, as just regular individuals, if we did this, guess what they what they would do to us? They would put us in jail. But yet the federal government said that the banking institutions can do this. Getting back now to the second paragraph, it says right there, this all sounds a bit ominous but you haven't seen anything yet, you must add the multiplier effect. So when you've got people in a local bank that start pulling their money out, the bank's notes then become due. All of a sudden, it's just like that. And I can just tell you, uh, this whole mess is the biggest con game in the world. Yeah, that's what and Nelson yet, calls it. Yeah, and so the the crazy the crazy thing is this is exactly what banks do, and uh, during this particular time period, you had thousands and thousands of uh, uh, local banks, uh, regional banks go under because of this very mess. Mm -hmm. 
I'll just insert here um, a comparison with IBC and life insurance because banks, that, that whole fractional reserve um, concept is the idea that not everybody who has deposits in that bank are all going to come and want to withdraw that money all at the same time. In nope. fact, if they tried to, the bank would shut them down. They wouldn't allow them to do that. No, they would not. If you think about um, Jimmy Stewart back in This is a Wonderful Life at the uh, <laughs> yeah. savings and loan, and everybody yeah. shows up in that snowstorm and they all want their money. And he's like, well, we can't because your money is over here helping Joe with his farm and Joe's money's over here yep. helping with yours. So it can't actually happen. Now, let me contrast that. Life insurance companies have to prove solvency every single year. Mm -hmm. Solvency is defined as if everybody who had a life insurance policy with that company died on the same day, the company would have to pay all those death benefits. That's correct. They have to prove that. Well, here's an example. One of the companies that we work with, yep. they are 600% solvent. So when you compare a life insurance company to a bank, which of those two do you think is more solvent or a safer place to store your money? It's the a no-brainer. Yeah, the life insurance company, hands down. By, by a mile, yeah. Yeah. All right, so we, we get through this and... Um, this oil oil company is just messing it up and they hadn't repaid their loans or any of that stuff. Nelson says, had they repaid their loans plus interest, their bank would have still been in operation, but greed prevailed and did them in. Hmm. So Mike, <laughs> how often do we talk about loan repayments with our clients? Um, it's one of the top two or three things that we talk about. Obviously, think long term. Don't be afraid to capitalize or capitalize your system generally. And number three, uh, don't steal the peas or don't steal from your system. Mm -hmm. um, so in order to make the machine work, your business work, and, and Nelson said that every policy that somebody begins is like starting up a new business. So if you take part of the inventory, which is the policy loans that you have against your policy, we want to make sure that we're replenishing the inventory, which is your cash flow, back to policy loan repayments. It is about as simple as simple can get. Mm -hmm. So Nelson says here at the bottom of 20 in the first column, he says, the banking system I'm going to tell you about, you can also destroy it by not obeying the basic rules of banking. Loans have to be paid back or you can kill the best business in the world. Mm. It's up to you, but don't try to blame others when it happens. That's exactly <laughs> right. Okay, so now we're back to the paragraph that I started the podcast with. Yep. And that is Nelson now making the transition from, okay, this is what a, a traditional banking process looks like and how it can go wrong. He says, now what I want to do is I want to introduce to you the idea of creating your own banking system. And he says, the mechanism has been around for over 200 years. It is tried and true. It is called participating or dividend paying whole life insurance. But the problem is that very few people know how the business works, including the home office folks in the life insurance companies. Now, he introduces a term called cogeneration. Yeah. We want to talk a little bit about what cogeneration is, and then we'll talk about how life insurance is an example of cogeneration. 
Well, okay, so uh, cogeneration. Let's just say that we have an electrical, uh, we, we want to bring electrical power from point A to point B. Do we want to construct a whole new electrical system or do we want to tap into the existing electrical system that's already there? 99.9% .9 of the time you want to tap into the existing system that's already there. So part of cogeneration is now what you're going to do is you're going to try to utilize the system that's already there. And he uses an example of a, um, a paper pulp mill. Yeah. Um, and so the paper pulp mill is basically they're taking great big logs, they're cutting them down, and they're making wood products out of these uh, paper pulp mills. So they're, they're, they're creating a two by fours, two by sixes. They're also creating uh, additional things. Now, what they're doing is out of this particular system, they've got all of this excess wood product. They've shaved it down, so they've got all this sawdust and all these other things. What are they doing with that stuff? Well, what they've done is they've decided to actually shove this back in and burn it and then create a, a turbine or a, a, a program where they're actually selling back the electrical power directly to the electrical company. So the cogeneration is utilizing a system that's already in place. Now we transition right back to dividend paying whole life insurance. It's a system that's already in place. And all we're doing is we're utilizing the dividend paying whole life insurance as a banking system because it's already in place. In fact, Nelson said, that really dividend paying whole life insurance is more like a banking system with a little death benefit thrown in on the side. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And we always say you could create a banking system using a savings account or a 401k or IRAs or other things. It's just they're not as efficient. They're no, not exactly. as beneficial as a dividend paying whole life insurance policy, especially when you design it to emphasize the cash value um, over the death benefit. That's correct. So, yeah, the the example that um, Nelson gives about uh, creating your own bank um, mm -hmm. or going through the banking system is a lot like the chapter where he talks about building a grocery store. That's right? exactly right. All these steps that you have to go through, all the cost that's involved, all the overhead, all the employees, all those things that have to go into it. And when you understand that a grocery store and a bank can be so profitable, and yet you can take the elements of it and make it so much simpler simply by utilizing a dividend-paying whole life insurance policy to create your own banking system. And it's so much more flexible and less costly and less risky. I mean, it's a no-brainer. It is. Tap yeah. into a system that's already there. Tap into a system that's already there. All right, so um, we're gonna dig into the next one is now that we've talked about, um, that Nelson has introduced in the book, hey, you can use dividend paying whole life insurance to create your own banking. The next chapter on page 21 that we're gonna get into next time is creating your own banking system through dividend paying life insurance. And that's a pretty detailed one. I, I don't imagine we'll get through that whole whole chapter in, in one podcast. So um, be listening for that coming up. We want to thank our listeners for joining us. We hope that this is helpful. It's a lot of fun for us to go through and um, bring out some of those key points from Nelson's book. Mike, thanks for joining us. 
Thanks, Chris. For, for those of you who um, don't have a copy of Nelson's book, uh, you can get a copy of that at lifesuccesslegacy.com. Check out our website. Check out some of our other podcasts and other resources for learning that we've got there. Thanks again for joining us, and we'll check you out on the uh, on the next version.